We're starting a new series today called How to Start a Fire. And the month of September has historically, for the last four years, this is our, this is our fifth year now, where we have taken the month of September as a time of re- personal and church-wide corporate revival where we just get before God with some intentionality and we say, God, we want to put you first in our lives. We want to put you first on our calendar. We want you to do something new in us today. Set us ablaze. That's what this whole month is going to be for us. For the next few weeks, we're going to ask the question, how do we ignite our lives in Christ? Now, we're going to talk about this metaphor of fire, and I'm going to break it down for you. But generally, when we talk about fire, we first and foremost, we think of physical fire. Fire, correct? We all know what fire is. Everybody, we're, we're, we're tracking. We know what fire is. Fire is this essential resource to human life. You probably don't think about it like that very often, but you would not be here if it weren't for the power of fire, like the sun, for instance. The sun's at the center of our solar system, and it's actually the thing that actually compels life to happen, correct? Any science geeks? So you're safe in here. You can raise your hand. It's all good. I'm a nerd. Yeah, or, or uh, you, you didn't think about this today, but when you drove here or someone drove you here, you can thank fire. Not General Motors, not Ford, whatever your car is, not even gasoline. It's the power of fire that propelled you here. It's the combustion of the fuel. Am I right? I'm right. You can thank, you can thank fire for the fact that you can hear my voice more because electricity is running through 36,000 watts and it's blasting out into your eardrums right now. Fire is central to human existence. And humanity has known that since the dawn of time. Fire has been the one thing that we've needed in order to survive. If you landed on a deserted island, mission one is to start a fire. Did you see Castaway? It's a big deal, right? Fire really matters for life to happen. We need it. And so humanity has known that for years and years and years. And that's why some some, uh, religions worship fire. There are fire gods. People hold it in high regard. We don't worship fire in our culture, but we do associate fire with power. We associate the word fire, we use it in our language for a bunch of good things, with life-giving things. We, We use it to describe beauty. I'll say openly and proudly, my wife is hot, (laughs) smoking, right? We use fire terminology to describe uh, passion. It got hot in there. It's good. Anyway, (laughs) y'all know that song, don't you? Yeah, you do. We, just, we use fire to, we, we, we talk about illumination. We use it when, it when the light turned on. We use it for motivation. I lit a fire under his apathy, right? Like we, we use this terminology. I, I was told last night, we have our uh, Kingswood University's uh, school up the road that, that we're invested in and a bunch of the students return. We welcome back, we welcome you back. Last night, a bunch of them told me, actually, no one says hot anymore, pastor. Like, what? I'm cool. Don't correct me. And they're like, no, we all say that was lit. I'm like, all right, whatever, whatever, whatevs. <laughs> but we use this terminology of fire. We refer to it all kinds of things with hot and fire, and that was piping. All kinds of things we use the term fire. One time I was coming out of uh, Good Life down the road here in Quiz Pam Sis. It was early morning. I was heading to work after, after my workout. And uh, I was heading out. I like to tell you guys I was at the gym. Um, and I was coming out the door, heading to my car, and there were some guys, probably like 20 years old, I couldn't really tell because he was a little ways away. I came out of the door, and if you could picture good life down near Jungle Gyms in that same place, 
Uh, if you don't know where Jungle Gyms is, I'll use maritime directions. It's where RBC once was. <laughs> you thank James Mullinger for that observation. It's true. It's where RBC. Yeah, and, and he's standing down there, and, he go, and I come out the door, and he just yells at me. He goes, hey, pastor. And I turn, and I'm like, hi. And he goes, preaching was fire yesterday, bro. <laughs> and, I, and I'm like, thanks. And I got in my car, and I left. But we use the term fire for good things, for life-giving things, for joy, for, for, for purpose, for passion. That's what we associate fire with. And, and there's a reason for that, because fire is power. But the Bible actually takes it a step further and says it's not actually fire in and of itself that provides the heat and the purpose and the power, but God himself in his very nature is fire. Now, is it speaking literally? No, probably not, although he has manifested himself as flames of fire. But, but metaphorically speaking, God encapsulates all the things we would attribute to fire. Things like power, things like righteousness and justice, things like the ability to refine, the ability to illuminate, the ability to captivate, the ability to empower, to, to, to bring heat, to bring life. That is who God is, the Bible says. The Bible says in Deuteronomy, it says it again in Hebrews, it says that our God is an all-consuming fire. The writers use language to help you wrap your head around who this God is. He is a wild, all-consuming fire. Like you think that fireworks are powerful, or you think that bombs are powerful. Our God is an all-consuming fire. And so the Bible uses this analogy of God as fire. And anytime you see in the Bible a picture of fire, it's actually referring to the very presence of God. You see it all through the Bible. You see it in what we're going to look at today in the story of Moses and the burning bush. But you see it as God led Israel through the wilderness. He was a cloud of smoke by day, and he was a pillar of fire by night. You saw it in the sacrificial system, that section in the Bible that most of us have never read, where it talks about like how to know that you're right with God. And one of the things that they did was they had this uh, burning incense and they had burning sacrifices. The burning represents the refining presence of God. You see fire all through the Bible as this theme of the presence of God. You saw fire fall on Mount Carmel as Elijah called God to show himself to the, to the pagans. You saw fire land in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus told his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until power comes, and when it comes, you'll know it. And sure enough, they waited there, and the Bible says in Acts 2 that the Holy Spirit fell upon them, and flames of fire showed up over their heads. God is an all-consuming fire. One time, John the Baptist was telling his followers about Jesus, and he says, you know what? I baptize with water, but one is coming and is now here who baptizes with the Holy Spirit and fire. See, fire is synonymous with life, with truth, with power, with meaning. That's what the fire in the Bible represents. So when we talk for the next few weeks, when we talk about setting our lives on fire, I'm gonna trust that you know I'm not speaking in a literal sense. I mean, what does it look like when God so gets a hold of us that our lives are ignited in all that he is, ignited in joy? How many could use some joy? Ignited in purpose, ignited in meaning, ignited in passion, ignited in truth and illumination. All the things the fire of God can do in your life. That's what we're talking about for the next few weeks. But today to start, I want to look at one story. 
If you have a Bible, you can turn to Exodus chapter 3, and I want to look at the story of Moses and the burning bush. Now, some of you may be new to all this, and you don't know who Moses is. We're glad you're here. You're going to learn about him today. Maybe you saw the movie with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. Maybe you saw The Prince of Egypt. But Moses is a central character in the Old Testament, and he foreshadows to Jesus who is to come. And you're going to see here in this story that Moses has an encounter with God. He has an in the very real sense of the word, a oh my God moment. That's the true meaning of the word, a revelation. He sees something and his life is ignited forever and he is transformed in a moment. Some of you have had that experience before and I pray you get another one. But there's a story of John Wesley, for instance. He is the, the founder of the Methodist church. We're actually on that tree, some branch of it somewhere. And he's the founder of this great revival that happened. And he was a preacher, he was a pastor, he was a teacher, he was a scholar. His whole life was church. And yet it wasn't until years and years after that he encountered this same similar moment like Moses, where he saw something and experienced something that changed his life forever. He says, I was sitting there and my heart was strangely warmed. Like the fire fell on him. And great revival broke out after that. And so I want to ask the question, what makes a fire? We're going to get into how to start one, but first and foremost, what makes a fire? What, what is fire? You ever ask that question literally? Like, what is fire? Ever wonder what that stuff is? I, I did some research and looked up on how stuff works. Great website for all things nerdery. And uh, nerdery, nerdery, nerdery. If you want to know how stuff works, go on there. And I found out that fire basically takes three to four elements, three, three to four things coming together, heat, a fuel source, a spark or an ignition, and it takes oxygen. That's basically how you make a fire. So I want to ask the question today. What makes fire in your life? What are the things that need to come together for you to experience God like never before? Because that's my hope for you. My hope is for some of you, you've never experienced God. You've never actually had that moment where my heart was strangely warmed and I was transformed and I was set on a different direction in my life. For some of you, you've been to church for so long, you forgot what it feels like to be on fire. And I'm praying for you that this is a new time, a brand new day where God touches you over these next few weeks. So we're going to look at the story of Moses in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to ask the question, what happened to Moses? What were the things that were present there to create this fire that set him on the life he would eventually lead? By the end of Moses' life, he led the Israelites out of captivity. He led them right up to the edge of the promised land. And the Bible says that he was one who spoke to God face to face. Like his life was so radically, powerfully transformed out of this one moment we talk, we're going to look at today. He spoke to God as one face to face. It is said that they would cover his face because he radiated the glory of God so much. Like people couldn't look at him. You know, that you get too close to fire, it gets hard to be there, doesn't it? And he was carrying so much that he had to cover his face. So I want to ask the question, if you're with me, I want to ask the question, how did this come to be? What made this fire happen in Moses' life? And I have a few observations. So if you have a Bible, Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, we're going to cruise along. Are you with me? It says this, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness. And he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now let's just pause there and I'll give you some context. It says that Moses was tending his father-in-law's flock in Midian and that he was heading west. Now anytime you hear that someone's heading west, west is a metaphor for heading Godward. 
That's what, that's what it's in there for in the Old Testament. You see someone heading west, it's an, it's an analogy towards someone heading towards a God encounter. If you're a reader, this is going to pique your interest. He's going to say, oh, he's heading west, something's about to go down. And so he's heading west, and the Bible tells us that he's tending his father-in-law's flock. And the Bible actually, if you do the math, you can find out that Moses was about 80 years old at this time. He was not a young man. He wasn't just fresh out of college with the, you know, the opportunity before him. I mean, he's 80 years old. He's living so far away from his people back in Egypt. He's now settled in for a life in his father-in-law's household. I mean, he's off in the wilderness in the desert near in Horeb. Like, this is where he's at. So you, the Bible wants you to get a picture of Moses being far off, far removed, long since has the hope of ever having this great life with God, probably gone. I suspect he was just doing his days. This is the picture. And so here's some hope you get today as we come to see what happens next. It's not too late for you. You're not too old for God to touch you. You're not too far gone. You haven't wandered too far off for God to do something amazing in your life. You haven't screwed up so bad that God won't reach you where you're at. There is new mercy every morning, the Bible says. I want you to believe that today. I don't care if you're 90 years old and you feel like, well, you know what? God's got something fresh for you. You're not old to God. Amen? So it says he's heading westward. And then it says this, that an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight. So underline two things. Underline, the bush was burning, and it was not consumed. And then underline, I will turn aside to see. Another translation says, I'm going to go over and see the great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw this, he turned, that he turned aside to see God called out to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Now let me break this down. So here begins the encounter. And Moses has already brought one of the key elements to experiencing encountering God. He's already done it. Did you see what happened there? Now, many people believe it was Moses himself who wrote this, and he's already giving you clues into what happened here. It says that he was going along, tending his sheep. And it says that he noticed the bush that was on fire, but it includes another detail. Not just that there was a burning bush, but that it was not consumed. What's that mean? Have you ever sat and watched fire before? It would take a few minutes for you to watch a fire for you to determine whether or not the wood was being consumed, correct? Like if you walked by something, you wouldn't know whether or not it was just eternally burning, correct? And so it tells us that Moses is walking by, he saw this fire and, he, and it piqued his interest. He got curious about it and he probably stood there and watched it for a few minutes. We don't know how far away it was. We, we just know that it was close enough that it caught, caught his attention. And he starts watching it and looking at it, this peculiar fire. And he stood there and he watched it and he thinks, wow, this is a different fire. I don't think it's burning up. Yeah, that sure isn't burning up. There's something different about that fire. Boy, that's like a fire I've never seen before. Wow, there is something really unique about that fire. And he starts investigating and thinking about it. But then it happens. He moves from mere intrigue to actually investing himself in faith in such a way that he moves off the track he was on. He says, I will turn aside. I will go over and see the fire. This is so significant because if Moses did not make the decision to actually approach the flame, he would never have experienced that moment. 
The first thing, if you are ever going to experience all that God has for you, and I'll tell you something, it's amazing what God has for you, but if you're ever going to experience it, it will not happen without your faith. See, a lot of us, we're intrigued, just like Moses. We, we don't even disbelieve. We, we believe in our minds. We think there is a God. We even believe in Jesus. We'll come to church. We'll hear a message. But really, our faith is a spectator's faith. We're standing back, watching the bush burn, watching other people set ablaze, really enjoying their faith, but not actually exercising our own faith for ourselves. And until the moment where you decide, you know what? I need to know for myself what this fire is all about. I have to experience this God. I need to go over. I need to get in proximity to him because I gotta know what it is about that. I don't want to experience my parents' faith. I don't want to experience my husband's faith. I don't want to experience my friend's faith. I need to go for myself and experience this God. That's what happened for Moses. Somewhere, and we don't know how long this took, but he looked and he thought and he he thinks, you know what, there's something different about this fire. And some of you are right there today and you will stay there until you decide, I gotta see for myself. Moses made the move. See, a lot of us, we sit and we wait for God to move upon us. God has already moved heaven and earth. He's already lit the flame. There's burning bushes around you all the time. Here's a question. How many people, other people walked by that burning bush and didn't stop long enough to consider whether or not it was being burned up? You see, God has already come. And he's inviting you, but until you exercise faith, you will never experience him. To the measure of your faith will be the measure of your experience of God. And that's how God designed it. It says in Hebrews chapter 12, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Maybe it's 11. One of those two. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You have to come to God in faith. It is the requirement. 1 Corinthians 1 says God designed it that way. Why? To humble you. So that you can't come to God saying, I fought my way here, I bought my way here, I worked my way here. You can only come to God through faith. You see, a lot of the time we wait and say, okay, I'll believe it, I'll I'll walk in faith when I see it. And God says, walk and you will see. Believe and you will see. This is what he said to Doubting Thomas. He said to Thomas, when he could not believe that Jesus rose from the dead, he finally comes to believe. And Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. Make a decision to step towards the flame. He says, blessed are they who believe and do not see. What's that mean? It means God's blessing is on the other side of faith, not on the, not on the side you're currently on. Like on the other side of you exercising faith is when you experience the power of God and the blessing of God in your life. It only comes through faith. Moses stopped, turned, and moved in faith. The first element of fire is faith. If you're going to experience God in your life, it's going to happen through faith. You move first. It's your move. You want to experience God this month? It's your move. Elbow the person next to you and tell them, it's your move. You guys are like sleeping. It's your move. Says God called him out of the bush. Next verse. Moses, Moses, he said, here I am. Then he said, don't come near. Take off your sandals. Take your sandals off your feet for the place on which you stand is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was, can you say it out loud? Is it on the screen? Afraid. 
He was afraid to look at God. Here's the second component that makes fire. It's not just faith, but it's fear. It's fear. Now, what kind of fear? I'm not talking about like hoogie boogie fear. <laughs> now you're paying attention. I'm not talking about like God sneaking up behind you and boo, like that. God doesn't want you terrified. I'm not talking about panic. I'm not talking about goosebumps. I'm talking about holy, reverent fear of the fact that the things in this life that you fear, they fear God. And sometimes when we come to God, we forget who he is. And and here's the thing, without that revelation of the grandeur and majesty and greatness of God in your life, if you don't see God as God, you don't see him at all. If your vision of God doesn't, much like Moses, cause you to almost be taken aback, you aren't seeing the right God. And here's something I know to be true, that fear is the foundation of your experience with God. Reverent, holy fear is the foundation. Proverbs 9 says fear is the beginning of wisdom. Fear is the beginning of your perspective. Fear is actually what establishes the framework for which the the power of God to work in your life. Moses was hit with the revelation of who this God is. Wow, he's holy. Now, the word holy is a word you probably hear at church a lot of the time. But essentially, the word holy is just a word we use to, to just ascribe the greatness and grandeur of God. It's a word we use because there are no words. Maybe the best definition I've heard of holy is awe-inspiring grandeur. It's that rush of being overwhelmed by something's power. It's like standing on a cliff and going up to the edge and that feeling that goes up over you. That's the same feeling that you should have when you get a glimpse of who this God is. God's the one who made the cliff. Moses has this vision. It's not just exclusive to him. Anybody who you see in the Bible have a vision of God, their response is reverent fear. There is a realization of something. In that moment, your mind goes from, I am not God in the universe. You are God, I am not. And it's abundantly clear. Isaiah 6, when he saw God, what was his reaction? It wasn't, he he had this vision of God in the throne, and he, he didn't walk up to him and be like, Hey, God, sup? No, he saw the Lord Almighty high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple. And there there was angels worshiping him. And when Isaiah saw him, his response was, woe is me. I'm undone. This holy, matchless God is undoing me. Kind of like the way fire undoes things. It melts it and engulfs it. God is the same. You see it in Daniel when Daniel had a vision of Jesus, the Son of Man. He fell on the ground as though paralyzed. You saw it with Peter when Peter saw that Jesus, the Son of God, was in his boat. That There's a story where Peter had this great catch of fish and Jesus was revealing himself to him. Peter's response when he realized who this man in my boat is, it wasn't, wow, Jesus, cool. It was, oh my God, you're God. And Peter's response was, You need to leave. I can't be near you. There's a level of holy awe and fear required with God because God is a consuming fire. And for a lot of us, our idea of God is a caricature. It's approachable. It's safe. It's touchable and malleable. You can dictate what it does and where it goes. It's kind of like an ornamental fire. It's like one of these tea lights. 
you know, it's, it, it has the representation of fire. It's supposed to look like fire. I can bring it out and put it on the table for certain uh, events, and I can use it when I want, but when I don't want it, I can pocket it, and, and I can do what I want with this. This is not causing any type of reaction from me. I'm not afraid of fake fire, correct? Right, Ed? Yeah, you're not, you're not scared. But real fire, try not to blow up. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I'm getting all the instructions here. They, they usually say third time's a charm. Oh, more gas. It's not more gas. It's actually less. You're supposed to just do it a little bit. Watch. Yes. Oh. See, real fire makes you move. It demands its space, right, Ed? And were I to get down and walk through the aisle and wave this around, some of you balding guys would be ducking like crazy because you know I can't afford to get near that. Like, this causes you to move. And in fact, if I wanted to melt the candle that I was previously holding, I could because fire is real and it demands and elicits its own space. You can't tell this fire what it does. It's just going to be fire. It is what it is. And there's a reality of that with Almighty God. He is an all-consuming fire, and we sometimes, we, we undermine our entire life with God when we think God is so approachable and that we can do what we want with Him. But the reality is, He is God. You are not. He demands His space in your life, and you need to set the foundation of you be God. I'll turn this off now. I'm scaring some people. <laughs> See, I think sometimes our idea of God's so small that it doesn't elicit the, the appropriate space for God to be God in our lives. And so and you can tell what your idea of God is because if you don't fear God, this is when you get apathetic. This is when, well, yeah, I'll get around to it. This is when you get entitled. Well, I deserve this from God. This is when you get angry at God because we think we can, because we think we're on an even plane. And God can handle your anger and your questions, but I'll tell you something. In the end, when you stand before the King of Kings, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, and you won't be saying, yeah, but he'll be God. There's this old hymn we used to sing in the church, and it says it all. Like, if you want to ignite in fire, it's, have thine own way, Lord. You ever hear that one? Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will. Oh, man, they don't write songs like that anymore. Getting old, aren't I? No. But that's how it works. If you want to experience God, you are no longer the potter. You are the clay. And there is a level of reverent fear where you say, God, take your place in my life. When you handle fire, handle with care. Moses was humbled. He set God in his proper place. So fire, is, fire of God consists of faith. It consists of fear. But watch what happens next. And we're going to wrap up here. And I think this is the moment everything changes. Exodus 3 and verse 7 says, Then the Lord said, so, so God establishes his holiness. 
Moses exercises his faith and then God establishes his holiness and then watch what happens. Moses fears God and gives him that space and this unlocks something awesome. Uh, Isaiah says in chapter 33 that fear of God is the key to the treasures of God and it unlocks the treasure that God has for you and watch. Moses gets a revelation of the goodness of God that forever changes the trajectory of his life. Watch this. It says in verse 7, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people. I've seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Do you know that this God, this holy, almighty, matchless God is aware of your sufferings? I've seen their sufferings. And I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out of that land to good and broad land. Do you know that God's will for you is to bring you up, to raise you up, to lift you up, to set you apart, to bring you into a land of promise? Look at this. I want to bring them into a land, a broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, with the things of life. You see, it all changed for Moses in that moment, I believe. Because it's possible to have a a certain degree of faith, and that can wane. That won't fuel the fire long enough. You can even have some reverent fear. I mean, I know lots of people who fear God, and and they live their lives accordingly, which is a great thing. That's the beginning. But the fuel of the fire is the revelation of the goodness of God in your life. It wasn't until Moses heard God say, Moses, I've seen your affliction. I've seen the slavery. I've heard your cries. I have come to save you and to liberate you and to place you and establish you, to lift you up and to put you in a good land, in a good space, flowing with milk and honey. I have come. I have done the work and I am offering you life. I think your life will be It will not ignite until you understand the goodness of God. Moses got a revelation of who this God is. He, like the scripture says, tasted and saw that the Lord is good. He approached the flame. He chased the flame and he saw that this God has good things for me. And so the focus of his life changed. That now he viewed God himself as the source of life. That he truly is the fire in his life. His focus changed from whatever else it was. I don't know what Moses' dream was. Maybe it was to to, to die a shepherd or to, to, to grow a business or to be a CEO or whatever it was he wanted to do. But the focus of his affection, the focus of his joy, the focus of where he would find his meaning and his purpose shifted from whatever it was to God alone. He found what he was looking for in God. And this is where the fire happens. When your focus shifts to what God has for you. See, some of you undersell what God has for you. Did you know that God is for you, not against you? Did you know that God's plan for you? Like it says in Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a plan for you. It's to prosper you. It's to establish you. It's to give you a hope and a future. That God is for your joy. He's for your prosperity. I think sometimes we think of God as this great taker. Just because he's a fire that consumes things that don't last does not mean God is a taker. God is a constant giver of good gifts. 
It says in James that he's always giving good gifts, never casts a shifting shadow. Jesus himself said in John 10, 10, his disciples were wondering about him. And Jesus says this, in a nutshell, it doesn't actually say in a nutshell, I wish it did, but he says, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I have come that you may have life, that you may have joy, that may, you may have meaning and purpose. The reason Jesus came is for your life. That is the very fuel, the very incentive that causes us to chase the flame. Because if you resolve in your mind that Jesus is for me, not against me, he wants to bless me, not curse me, you have every reason to forsake all the strange fires in this world, all the things that cannot satisfy, to leave it behind in hot pursuit of Jesus because he is the only one who can bring life and he has come that he may bring life to you forever preaching better than you're acting. Just saying. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, it's written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has even conceived or imagined. Your mind hasn't even imagined. It's not entered the heart of man, it says in the old King James. Like you haven't even entertained the thought of how amazing the future God has for you. You haven't even dreamed it yet. And the dream that you have for your life, God's dream for your life is better. And if you could just resolve what you stand to gain by following Jesus, you would forsake everything else. It's just like with my kids. Some, some nights I'll come home and uh, obviously trying to teach my kids responsibility. And I'll, just like any good dad, I'll get my kids to do certain things. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old who deal with this, the one-year-old, not so much. I mean, the world revolves around him at this point, so it's King Alex. But uh, we will, he will, I will break that. I anyway, parenting advice, break your children. Like, no, it's not, it's, don't break them. Anyway, but my two older kids will often be down in, this, in the basement playing, like whether it's at supper time or bedtime, and they know when I call them that sometimes I call them because I want something from them. I'll call them, Ava, Aiden, and I want them to come and eat. Or I'll want them to come get ready for bed or come do your homework or come clean up your room. They know if I call them, sometimes I want them to come do something maybe they don't want to do. And so what is established in their short eight and six years of life is they know that I'm just going to lag a little bit in my response. And so I'll call for them and I'll hear nothing. And then I'll call again a little louder, and I'll hear, okay, and they come up. But sometimes, just because I can, I'll, like, mix it up, and I won't tell them that I have something for them. And so, like, I'll do the same thing if I want to take them to Dairy Queen or take them to the park or go biking and do fun stuff that they would want to do because I want them to assume not necessarily that I want something from them, but I want something for them. And so the times that I've done this and I've called them up, they've come up and I've said, hey, guys, you want to go get some ice cream? Like, Yes! Why didn't you tell us? Because <laughs> I'm cruel. I know. But it's the exact same thing at work with God. Like if you can just switch in your head your assumption that God wants something from you and you can make the assumption that God wants something for me, everything changes. Your whole life changes. And this becomes the very fuel to the fire of God in your life. The general assumption that God wants to bless me, that God is for my life, 
that he is for my joy. And when you resolve that in your mind, when you have that realization, you chase the flame for the rest of your life. It's a shift of mindset. It's a realization. That's why Paul said, be transformed by changing the way you think. This is why Moses never turned back. And Moses had some rough days. But never once did he turn back to go to Midian. That was it for him. He saw who this God was and found out that he was good and he forever pursued the flame. And so if I can just set this up for you for the next few weeks, that the pieces involved in a fire, the fire of God in your life, you wanna experience God for yourself, it's gonna take your faith, it's gonna take fear in the, in the form of you giving God permission to be God, say, God, do what you want. And you resolving in your mind, fixing your focus on God in a way that says, I know God has something good for me. This is what creates the flame in your life. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to catch the fire. That's what we're going to try to do. I want you to experience God. I want to experience God to new levels. I, I am on fire and I want more. And I want you to experience more if you have it. So here's what we're going to do. In the, in the next few weeks, I'm, I'm gonna, we're going to talk to some different things and set ourselves up to receive all that God has for us. But today, I just want to get on the track. And we're not going to, there's no great response today. I just want to get you thinking differently that, hey, if this is going to happen for you, it's going to require your faith. You're going to have to put some intention into it. You're going to have to move from being a spectator and an observer to someone who is actually moving towards the flame. You're, you're going to have to do stuff. You're gonna to have to give God permission. And we're gonna do that in a second as we sing, but give God permission to do what he wants. And you're gonna to have to make Jesus your focus for the next month. And I believe if we do these things, we will be ablaze in a way like never before. And so I wanna help you do that. And I wanna do that for myself. So we thought of a way to just maybe help spark the fire, if you will. And what I'm gonna do every morning for the next month, uh, Monday through Friday, Weekends are for services, but Monday through Friday, I'm going to send a text or a thought via text. Might be a prayer, might be a scripture, might be a video or an admonition or an encouragement, but every morning I am going to send a mass text out. And in there will be something to help spark your faith over the next few weeks. And I just want to track along together and chase the flame together. And so here's a real easy, low-hanging way you can do that. I want to give you permission to get your phone out. You're actually, uh, and I want you to punch in this number and text the word spark to it and you will be on my text list and I will text you once a day for the next month. And I'm gonna do this. Now, use your phone, go ahead. It's not unspiritual. You're worshiping God through your iPhone, not through your Android. It's impossible. No, it's not, it's all good. So punch that number in and we're gonna walk this out together. We're gonna go on this journey and we're gonna chase the flame of God together. So get that number, maybe snap a picture and, and put it in later. If you don't have a phone, if you have a computer, we'll put the daily thing up on Facebook and we'll put it up on our Twitter accounts. And if you don't have that, let us know and we'll figure out a way to get it to you. But most, I think 98% of us have some form of digital communication. So. so do that and we'll walk it out together, amen? Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to respond. Just give, give God just permission. As we sing this song, resolve in your mind to exercise faith. Maybe you need to just even lift your hands for the first time. 
You see, what's lifting your hands? Sometimes you stand there and wait for God to so compel you to lift your hands. And God says, lift your hands and I'll compel you. So maybe for you in this next song, it's just to lift your hands and say, God, are you there? Exercise some faith. Maybe you need to give God a space in this next song and say, have your way in me, God. Do something fresh in me. You are a fire and I'm, and I'm coming towards you. Would you do something new in me? And use this moment to fix your focus on him. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you today that you are the same God as you were that very moment with Moses. You are the same all-consuming fire. You have not changed. You're the God of Moses. You're the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You're the God who consumed the altar with fire for the, for the people of Israel. You're the God who, who descended upon Mount Carmel for Elijah. You're the God of Micah. You're the God of Jeremiah, God. You're the God of the New Testament as well. You're the, you're the God, Jesus, you are God, the one who baptizes with fire. You're the one who fell upon the disciples on the day of Pentecost. Lord, you are the same today. You're the one who, who fell upon Martin Luther for the great reformation. Lord, you're the one who fell upon John Wesley for that great revival. You're the one that fell upon Jonathan Edwards for the great awakening. Lord, would you do it again in our day? Would you fall upon us for a great awakening and a great revival? Would you start in our hearts? Lord, would you do something to us and then do something through us? Would you revive our hearts, refresh us? For the one, Lord, who's never experienced you, would you fall afresh upon them in this season? Lord, for the one who experienced you once upon a time, but it was a long time ago, would you fall fresh upon them today, I pray in Jesus' name. And then, God, there's a bunch of us, we just want more. We just want to know you more. We just want to experience more of you. Would you come like a burning flame of fire upon our lives? And would you resurrect new life in us and restore us anew? in such a way, Lord, that it actually transforms this city. We love you and we praise you. We ask over these next few weeks, would you do something new in us? We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people say.